Well, this morning, we have the opportunity uh, to hear, very thankful for Brother Joe Caldwell, who'll be sharing the message this morning. Um, From what he has shared with us, um, he last spoke, actually, here at Tiburon Baptist Church in 1972. He was then a student at Golden Gate Seminary, and he was serving as a traveling evangelist. And then later, he served as a pastor of churches in San Jose, in Porterville, and in Gilroy. And then in the 1990s, he served as director of major donor support at the seminary. Currently, he speaks at various Bay Area churches and is a member of the board of directors at Gilead House and has a small business in Sausalito. He holds the Master of Divinity, Doctor of Ministry, and CFA designations. And so we're very thankful to have Brother Joe Caldwell to share the message this morning. Come, Brother Joe. Thank you. Thanks. What fun. Uh, it's, it's true. Uh, the last time that I uh, was in this pulpit was in 1972, uh, 45 years ago, and I'm back. I guess I'm uh, somewhat of a regular. And uh, <clears throat> things are, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot more fun to be alive today. Those were some good times back then, but uh, it's good to be alive today. Um, so many, so much uh, bright optimism that we have about how the world is going to uh, take place. And it's uh, more interesting today. Information is uh, so readily available to us, and it was not uh, back in those days. It's especially great to be a believer today because the decades that we've lived through have proved to us that the Lord is able to handle whatever may come, come along. Uh, Some crazy things have happened uh, in the last uh, 40 or 50 years. Things we didn't expect, things that we would think were a little bit uh, uh, off. And yet, in spite of all that, the Lord's been with us, and we know that He'll be with us as we move forward as well. Wouldn't it be great if we could uh, pray right now and ask the Lord to be with us and to bless us uh, in this time together? Our Heavenly Father, we come before your throne of grace today in a spirit of humility. Father, we want to exalt you and lift you up today. We want to have trust in you and realize how much you love us and how much you care about us. And so, Father, we pray that you would give us today a vision of your greatness and of our lowliness in your sight, and that we would depend exclusively upon you as you lead us forward. And we ask this in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. About 2,800 years ago, Isaiah the prophet wrote these words. He said, It was in the year King Uzziah died. Uzziah was a great king of Judah. He probably was a relative of Isaiah's, and now he had died, and there was a transition of power taking place with Assyria knocking on the borders of Israel as a threat. And so in this scenario, Isaiah wrote, It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their face, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. 
They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with His glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, It's all over. I'm doomed. For I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. This experience of Isaiah was one of two of the components of wonderment as we think about in this series of messages, this being the closing message, as we've been thinking about the wonders of Christmas. We see in this experience of Isaiah two of the matters that become real in our lives through wonderment. First, there is the vision of the exaltation of God. The exaltation, the the mightiness, the highness of God and His holiness. And then there is the realization of our own unworthiness and our own smallness and the need for humility. This is important because humility is the key to everything in the Christian life. Proverbs chapter 3 says that God opposes the haughty, but He gives grace to the humble. This means that if we're going to be in the will of God, if we're going to be following God, we must approach Him in a spirit of humility. Well, Joseph and Mary went through some events which we've been looking at in the Christmas season, which caused them to experience these same dynamics that Isaiah experienced. First of all, and some of this is by way of review, but review is a good thing. It helps us to remember and helps us to learn. The first wonderment was the experience of Zechariah and Elizabeth. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Uh, I imagine Zechariah and Elizabeth as young, uh, young adults. And they met each other and they fell in love or their parents arranged it, but for one reason or another, they got married. And as most young married couples, they assumed that it would not be long until they would begin to have children. But a year went by and there was no children. And then two years went by and no children. And those years turned into a decade, and the decades into a lifetime, until now they were old, advanced in years, and they had no children. Bad for Zechariah, because he had no son to take his place and to carry on the lineage and the family name. Very bad for Elizabeth, because of the disgrace and the disappointment of the whole thing, that she had not given birth to any children. And so it was the week that Zechariah was a priest. He was of the priestly line of Abijah. 
And it was their week to minister in the temple, and they drew lots, and they, and they decided that Zechariah should go into the holy place to burn incense to the Lord. It would be as if outside in the temple there were people there worshiping and praying like this group of people today. And back in the back there was a holy place where only the priest could go and offer incense to the Lord. And so Zechariah was elected as the one who was to go and offer the incense, and as he was there by the altar... Much to his amazement, the angel Gabriel appeared. And the angel Gabriel said, Zechariah, I come from the Lord and he has heard your prayers. Now, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Think about this for a moment. Here is Zechariah and Elizabeth. And here they are late in life. Zechariah is past the time when men usually father children, and Elizabeth is far past the time when it becomes impossible for a woman to give birth to a child. And yet, Zechariah is praying against all odds. He is praying, Lord, Lord, you know our longing. Lord, you know our disappointment. You know our heart, our heartache. And... God listens, and he sends Gabriel to say, you're going to give birth to a son, and his name is going to be John, and he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from before the time that he is born. What a wonderful promise. And lo and behold, when Zechariah's time in the temple was completed, he went home, and lo and behold, Elizabeth found that she was great with child by the power of God. What a wonderment. And then there was another wonderment. There was this woman, Mary, who was on the other end of the spectrum. She was not an old woman who couldn't have a baby. She was a young woman who expected that right away she would have a baby. Why? Because she was betrothed to Joseph. Joseph, a man from the line of David, King David. And in that day, in the ancient day, betrothal was a relationship that lasted for about a year. It was just like being married, except there was no physical contact. It was designed so that it would demonstrate the purity of the wife. It was designed so that after one year of engagement, if they entered into matrimony and she was not going to have a baby, it was some modicum of assurance to the husband that any children that would be born in the marriage would be uh, his children. And so here was this beautiful young woman, Mary, probably a teenager, in the stage of betrothal, knowing that soon she would be married to Joseph and in all likelihood she would be having children And the same angel, Gabriel, came to her and he said, Mary, you have found favor with God. And you're going to give birth. And your son is going to be named Jesus. And her response was predictable. She said, how can this be? Because I have not known a man. Perhaps she was protecting her own purity. She's saying, well, how could this be? I've I've been faithful. I have kept the terms of my betrothal. How could it be? 
And God said, or the angel said to her, the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And you will conceive and you will give birth to a boy. And his name will be Jesus. Wonderment number two. And then wonderment number three. When Mary went over to visit her relative Elizabeth, they were... Some people say cousins, but they were related to each other. And now, uh, by this time, Elizabeth was in her sixth month. When she found out that she was going to give birth, she went into seclusion for five months, and now she was in the sixth month. And so Mary went to visit her. The Scripture says that when Mary walked into the room where Elizabeth was, John the Baptist, the little baby in Elizabeth's womb, jumped you know, Zechariah had heard from Gabriel that John the Baptist would be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he was born. And here is a picture of this little baby in the womb of Mary, capable of spiritual worship, capable of exp- uh, responding spiritually to the Mother of God and to Jesus Himself. And so... We have Elizabeth, six months along with John the Baptist. And Mary, uh, newly conceived with Jesus. John, who would foretell the coming of the Messiah, and Jesus, who would be the Messiah. John, of whom Jesus would say he was the greatest man ever born of a woman. And so here are these Elizabeth and Mary together with these wonderful little boys about to be born. What a wondrous, what a wondrous experience. And then we go on to the time when Mary told Joseph about her pregnancy. And Joseph agreed. The the angel appeared to Joseph and said, Don't be afraid to take her as your wife, because that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And so Joseph, in a rather amazing example of commitment to Christ and to the Lord, said, Well, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll take care of Mary and I'll take care of the baby. And I'll raise the baby as if it was my own. Fast forward now. to um, the time when Jesus is to be presented in the temple. And this is where we pick up in um, our scripture for the day. You can look in Luke chapter 2, beginning with uh, verse 21. The scripture says, Eight days later, When the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus. This is nine months later when Jesus has been born. And after he was born, eight days later, uh, the baby was circumcised and he was named Jesus. The name given him by the angel even before he was conceived. And then it says it was the time for their purification. This is actually, Jesus was born and then eight days later he was circumcised. And this is actually 32 days after Jesus was circumcised. As Joseph and Mary brought him together uh, to the temple, 
to present him to the Lord. It says in verse 22, Then it was time for their purification offering, as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says, If a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. You see, two things were happening here. First was the purification of Mary. And you can find this in the 12th chapter of the book of Leviticus, and perhaps uh, later today or sometime this week, you may want to read uh, that passage of Scripture. It's very short. It won't take you long uh, to read it. But basically what it said was that when a woman gives birth to a child, uh, she will become unclean. And this was because of the involvement of blood in the birth. And so she would become ceremonially unclean, which means that she could not touch anything that was considered to be holy or sacred, and she could also not attend the temple. So essentially, Mary had not been uh, to the temple. And Leviticus 12 said that on the 40th day of the child's life, the parents should bring him to the temple And there should be a purification ceremony. And they should bring a lamb, if they were wealthy and could afford it, to be a sacrifice for the purification of the woman. Or they could bring two pigeons or two turtle doves. And Joseph and Mary brought two turtle doves because um, they were poor. And it says in this passage of Scripture in, uh, in verse 23, I believe, uh, if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. This harkened back to the 13th chapter of the book of Exodus. And again, this week you may want to read the 13th chapter of the book of Exodus for this background. But it harkened back to the time when God had called Moses, you know, God called Moses at the age of 80. The life of Moses can be divided into three parts of 40 years. First 40 years when he was in the palace in Egypt. The second 40 years when he was in the desert of Midian being shaped by God. And the last 40 years when at the age of 80 he was called to lead the children of Israel out of slavery. And you remember that God by his strong hand led the children of Israel out by promising to Pharaoh the death of the firstborn of everyone in the land of Egypt. And God had said to Moses, tell the children of Israel that they should kill a lamb and they should put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of their house. And if if the death angel comes along, if he sees that blood on the doorpost, he'll bypass the Israelite households and the firstborn will not die. But everyone that doesn't have the blood on on the doorpost, the firstborn will be taken. And that's exactly what happened. And so when that happened, God said to the children of Israel in Exodus chapter 13, Now, now, the firstborn of every Israelite family belongs to me. Because I spared them in the Passover. I spared them in the Exodus. And so they belong to me. And so you have this ceremony which Joseph and Mary are taking care of at the same time as the purification ceremony. They are bringing Jesus and dedicating him to the Lord, saying to God, you passed over 
our firstborn in the Exodus, and now we are presenting him to you. So they encountered an interesting gentleman named Simeon. Verse 25 of Luke chapter 2 says, At that time there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. You see, Simeon was like Morgan Freeman and Jack Nicholson. He had a bucket list. And God had said to him, you are not going to die until you see the Messiah. And so he came to the temple that day. And as he was coming to the temple, it was that Mary and Joseph arrived as well. And the scripture says, when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord, as the law required, Simeon was there, and he took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord. In the Greek New Testament, uh, he uses a word, despota. Despota. Usually when they talk to God, they talk to him as Yahweh. But here, Simeon says, despota. Sounds like an English word. Despot. Simeon addresses God as a despot, as a ruler who is the sole ruler, and there is no other. And he says, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace. As you have promised, I have seen your salvation. which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. Simeon said, God, I can die in peace now. Because you promised that I would see the Messiah, and now I have seen him, and I can die in peace. And then Luke interjects a statement here, an editorial statement that says that Joseph and Mary were amazed by the things that were being said about their son. How could they not be amazed? With the experience of Zechariah and Elizabeth, with a visitation from Gabriel, Joseph himself being visited by an, uh, by an angel, and then Simeon being here, and then there was another woman named Anna. Her name is a palindrome. And Anna, the scripture tells us, uh, let's go ahead, it's in verse 36. It says, Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. Now, scholars are disagreed on this. Here's this woman, Anna, who, um, as a young woman, had gotten married. And after seven years, she had become a widow. And uh, some people think that she... This scripture means that she remained a widow until she was 84. And other scholars believe that it means that she had been a widow for 84 years after her husband died. So that places her somewhere between the age of 85 and 105 years old. She was very, very old. And how did she react? She had the right to be married again. But instead, she came to the Lord 
And she began to live in the temple. And the Scripture says that day and night she never left the temple, but she spent all of her time fasting and praying and expecting that someday God was going to send the Messiah. So when she came into the temple and she saw Simeon holding the baby Jesus and proclaiming that now he could die in peace because he had seen the Messiah, she began to shout and she began to speak to everyone, telling them that here's here's what we've been expecting. This is what we've been waiting for. The Jews had this wonderful ability to remain expectant that God was going to do what He said He was going to do. And then the Scripture says, uh, she came along as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. And then the Scripture says that when Joseph and Mary were completed with their business there, they went back home and Jesus grew up and became wise. And Luke doesn't say anything more about him until he's 12 years old. So I'd like to propose this morning that very briefly in the time that we have left, that we think about four ideas from these scriptures that can help us to move forward uh, with the Lord today, not 2,000 years ago when Jesus was born. And those ideas are uh, printed on your yellow slip um, in your bulletin. You may want to get it out. And if you've got a pen, there's also a lot of blanks there. So if you want to, you can fill in the blanks. The first idea is that God's agenda interfaces with our lifestyle of devotion. God's agenda interfaces with our lifestyle of devotion. When you look back over all of these stories and you look at the cast of characters in these stories cannot help but be taken with the lifestyle of devotion that these people were living. Zechariah and Elizabeth, for instance, the scripture says they were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the Lord's commandments and regulations. Joseph, the scripture says, was a righteous man. He was upright, virtuous, keeper of God's law. Mary describes herself as a lowly servant girl and sings that beautiful psalm, one of the few psalms in the New Testament, the the Magnificat. My soul has magnified the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Simeon, the scripture tells us, was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Anna never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. You see, God, as he was moving in the first Christmas to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish, did so by interfacing with the lifestyle of devotion of these people. And if God is going to bless us, and if God is going to do what He wants to do in our midst, perhaps He will do so in the context of the devotion of our lives. This devotion is personal. 
It's something that happens within our own hearts and minds. When, as Isaiah, we catch a glimpse of the majesty and the holiness of God, and we say to ourselves, this is what's important in my life. Sure, there are other things that are important in my life, but above all, there is my relationship with God, and I will devote myself to that relationship. Not just in the moment, but as a style of life for the rest of my life. It's corporate. You know, Jesus described the church as the body of Christ. All of us are part of the body of Christ. And our personal devotion works together with the devotion of the entire body of Christ. You know, my mother uh, was a member of this church. Her name was Cora, Cora Caldwell. Some of you may, may remember her. She, she was a member of this church in the last millennial. Millennium. Not millennium. Um, she died in 1999. And uh, I took over her checkbook when she died. Uh, and I can confirm to you that the very last check that she wrote in her life was to Tiburon Baptist Church. Because she loved the Lord and she loved the church. So there is this personal devotion that each of us have, but also the devotion that takes place in the context of the body of Christ as our corporate devotion to God synergizes with the power of the Holy Spirit so that His will can be done. God's agenda interfaces with our lifestyle of devotion. The second idea is that the force of heaven drives God's agenda. There is the force of heaven. This is the intervention of God in the lives of people in in human history. I think of the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. Not Joseph, the husband of Mary, but Joseph, the one of the twelve sons of Israel, or Jacob. And you'll remember that he was a dreamer and that he had a big ego. And his dreams and his ego, together with his father's favoritism, uh, caused him to be sold off into slavery by his 11 brothers. He wound up being taken off into Egypt and becoming a servant in the household of Potiphar. Things weren't exactly going his way. He was a big dreamer. He was always talking about how things were going to work his way. Uh, But... uh, Uh, They didn't seem to be going uh, in that direction. And so he was so diligent as a servant in the house of Potiphar. The scripture says that all Potiphar had to worry about was what he was going to have for lunch. Now, friends, that's the kind of employee you want to have. Somebody that's so diligent, so capable that uh, you don't have to worry about anything. All you've got to do is worry about what you're going to have for lunch. Potiphar was delighted, but his wife was not. Because Joseph was young and he was handsome. And the scripture tells us that Potiphar's wife kept trying to seduce him. And whenever she would try to seduce him, he would go the other direction. If she was on the east side of the house, he would work on the west side. If she was on the north side of the house, he would work on the south side. She kept trying to seduce him, and he kept running away. And one day, 
feeling rejected, she decided that if she could not seduce him, she would destroy him. And so she accused him of rape, and he wound up in prison for two years. But you see, God was shifting the stands of circumstance. I, when we talk about the force of heaven intervening in the lives of people, I think that sometimes God works in circumstances. Sometimes circumstances are against us. And we've been frustrated and we've been trying to do what's right or trying to do what we want to do. But circumstances are just such that they're not working out. And God has the ability to shift the sands of circumstance in our, in our favor. So Joseph was able to interpret dreams and Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, had a dream. Joseph interpreted that dream in such a way that he became the second man in Israel. The most powerful man besides Pharaoh Excuse me, in the land of Egypt. You see, God had changed things around. Because God wanted the 12 sons of Jacob, later to be called Israel and be the 12 tribes of Israel, to be brought into the land of Egypt so that there with all the riches of Egypt they could prosper and grow into a mighty nation, which is exactly what happened. But over the years... The pharaohs forgot about Joseph and the pharaohs enslaved these 12 tribes of Israel, these 12 sons of Israel, so that they prayed to God. Like Zechariah, who in an impossible situation prayed and God heard his prayer. Israel prayed to God and God heard the prayer. And so God called Moses to come and to lead the children of Israel out of slavery. And you remember the last the last um, plague that God sent, as we said a minute ago, was the killing of the firstborn in all the land of Egypt. And you see, back to the presentation of Jesus, this is why they were presenting Jesus. They were remembering the time when the mighty hand of God had worked in the life of Israel. Mary in the Magnificat said, His mighty arm has done tremendous things. And Luke said of John, The hand of the Lord was surely upon him in a special way. What Our second idea is that the force of heaven drives God's agenda. If God has a list of things that he wants to see happen. It is by the force of heaven that he will cause that to happen. And the way he does that is by breaking the rules and changing the game. You know, sometimes the rules are against us. And they hold us back and keep us back. But we we think about Elizabeth and Zechariah. They certainly were facing some tough rules, weren't they? The rules that said you can't have a baby at this age. It can't happen. It will not happen. These are the rules. They are immutable. They can't be changed. But God changed the rules and said it is going to happen because that's what I wish to come to pass. And it was a major breakthrough for Zechariah and Elizabeth. All this time that their desires had been thwarted, all this time that they had been held down and been held back, all of a sudden it it was like it just, the, the ceiling shattered and there was a great breakthrough for them. 
I believe that God can do this in our lives. And in fact, uh, I've, I've experienced that uh, myself this year. You know, about this time last year, I was planning a trip to San Juan, Puerto Rico. And uh, as I planned the trip, I went and found a uh, little New Testament at a used bookstore with the intention of reading the entire New Testament on, on the trip, which I did. And uh, it, the trip turned into a really a, um, a spiritual retreat for me. And in my mind, I developed what I call the Puerto Rican star. This is just between me and God. It's something that I thought of. Nobody else knows about it. And uh, it's like a star with four points. The northern part, point, the uh, eastern, southern, and western point. And on the northern point is the most important thing. These are the things that I think should happen in my life. that will be consistent with God's will and His way. And the eastern point is the second most important. The southern is the third most important. And the fourth is the least important. And I can confess to you today... On the last day of 2017, as I've been praying about this in my own mind, this Puerto Rican star, that in the first three of the points, I made maybe some marginal progress, not a great deal. But on the fourth point, all heaven broke loose. And the blessings came so fast in my life, it was like drinking from a fire hose. It really is remarkable. And if I was to tell you the circumstances and, and exactly what happened, you, would, you might say, oh, yeah, that, was, that really is, is really wonderful because God is able to help us have a breakthrough. And this is my prayer. Perhaps there are things in our lives that we've longed for, things that we've wanted. We've asked God again and again. Perhaps we've 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 approached heaven and they have not been they have not been what uh, what we wished to to happen. What if in the next year there was a breakthrough? What if all heaven broke loose and God's blessings began to pour out on us in a way that we simply could not imagine? He breaks the rules and changes the game. And then also he acts at the perfect time. One of the things we learn from Simeon is that, you know, most of the time when God is going to do something, he doesn't share it with us. He doesn't, he doesn't tell us when that's going to happen. And an example of that is when Jesus said that no man knows the hour when he is going to come back. Only the Father knows that. But God said something re- remarkable to Simeon. I think this is the only place in the Bible this happened. But God said to Simeon, the Messiah is going to come before your death. You see, God had pinpointed, he had made for himself a deadline, and he had revealed it. The Scripture says he revealed it to Simeon. He had revealed it to his people. And so he was bound by his own word to act in that particular time because it was the perfect time. The concept of the Pleroma in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul wrote that God, when the time was right, God sent His Son, born of a woman. He used the Greek word Pleroma. Uh, that's an interesting word. It's used of getting a ship ready to sail. And they outfit the ship. All the riggings are taken care of. The Crew is brought aboard, all the cargo is brought aboard, and the ship is ready to go out on its voyage. That's the Pleroma. And Paul said it was in the Pleroma of time that God sent His Son. Maybe 
maybe this year is is the right time. Do you suppose God's got some ships ready to launch in our lives in 2018? Well, our attitudes ought to be forward-looking. I'll tell you a story. This is a true story. It happened uh, right here in this sanctuary in the early 1970s. Um, there was a, a Baptist preacher who was very, very well known among in Baptist circles. Um, he had written, I think, 28 books. I, you know, I can't remember his name. The four and a half decades he was, I knew it well back then, but four and a half decades have erased his name from my memory. But he came out to to the seminary to be a visiting professor, and the seminary uh, and Tiburon Baptist Church invited him to come over on a weeknight to speak here at the church. And it happened right over here, right there. It was a small group of people. It was only about 25 or 30 people. And I decided, well, I think I'll come over and I'll hear what this guy has to say. And I've forgotten his name, but I have never forgotten what he said. And I think it's worth remembering. Because a small group of people was very informal and they were asking questions. And one one guy raised his hand and he said... uh, Dr. Uh, whatever his name was, um, you've published 28 books. And he said, that's right. And this guy said, well, which, which of the 28 is your, your best? And he said, my next one. <laughs> you see, that's how we ought to enter 2018. We've had some good times, haven't we? We've, we've been blessed in an enormous way. But who knows what God might have in store? Who knows what He might be willing to do in our lives as we launch out in this time? Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be fantastic if December 31st, 2018, we gathered here again at the end of the year and we were filled with wonderment. The awesomeness of God. What He's done for us. We bless His holy name. Wouldn't it be wonderful? Shall we bow our heads and close our eyes in prayer? It's our privilege this morning to sing a hymn of devotion or dedication in just a moment. And um, back in 1972, it was the practice of this church to offer a an invitation hymn and still doing it. It's the opportunity, you know, those of us who have come here today have come in different different levels of our lives. Some of us are young, some of us are older. Some of us have been believers for many years, been members of this church for many years, and some of us are just considering what it would be to really give our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. What would it be like if I was to be baptized? And, you know, Bring, bring this thing to a head that I really am going to follow Christ. I really am going to do what He wants, us to, what he wants me to do. Or some other matters weighing upon our hearts just now. When we sing this invitation, it's the opportunity uh, for you to leave your seat wherever you're seated in the building and make your way out into the aisle and come down the aisle as Steve and I are going to be waiting here at the front to receive you. And by coming publicly to say, I want to believe in Christ, or I want to be baptized, or maybe I want to join this church by promise of a letter from another church, or some other decision that may be weighing on your heart.
Lord, we ask now that you might lead us and guide us in this time that you would have your perfect will. And we ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Let's stand together and sing this hymn of invitation. And as we do, please feel free to leave your seat, make your way down the aisle as we wait here to receive it.